Well, good morning, and welcome to Alexandria Covenant Church. Really glad that you're here today. My name is Pastor Dave Mergens. I am the pastor of Adult Formation here at Alexandria Covenant. And today we are on week 12 on the Sermon on the Mount. So we have been on a journey through Matthew chapter 5 all the way today until Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it really has been fun to see uh, what it was that Jesus was communicating to the people that were there and what we can learn from that as we read that in the text of the Scripture. If you remember last week, Pastor Trinity talked about seeking and finding, and specifically how we ought to do that both persistently and confidently, because God wants to be sought by us. He wants us to come to him. And what good parent, if you're a parent in the room, wouldn't want to give good gifts to their kids. And with the same heart, God, as we pursue him, gives us those good things that we do ask for. And so it's a a beautiful thing to think about how our persistence and confidence going before God really does do something in our spiritual life and brings about great benefit to us and a relationship with God. And so today we are going to look at the golden rule and the narrow gate. The golden rule and the narrow gate. Now, these are two particular passages that I'm going to take you through. It's three verses, and I'm going to look at both what the requirement of each are, and what does it look like to actually do them? Like, how do you uh, pursue the golden rule, and how do we figure that out? And I'm going to end with two questions to really guide the application, because I want you at the end of this time to ask yourself the question, how do I apply this? And I'm going to give you a specific way to do that when we close. But at the beginning here, would you pray with me and for me as we dive into the Word? God, we believe that your Word is sufficient. We believe that your Word is true. We believe, Jesus, that you are the Word. We trust, God, that your Holy Spirit gives us divine insight to understand only those thoughts that can be understood by you, God that you would give us that insight today, that it would not be my words or my stories or my intention, but God, that it would be your Holy Spirit through the text of your Bible that gives us action and application today as we look at the text. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I grew up in an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. So my childhood was full of paper, and uh, specifically this time of year, I would rush to the store to buy a new Trapper Keeper. (laughs) That was the thing. I love gadgets, so I was all about this. It was the Trapper Keeper, which had to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I was a big Turtles fan, and it also had to be those pencil cases with like the flip-up lids and the, the pencil sharpener in it, and then if you flip it over, there's like a secret compartment in the back that I could hide all my notes that I'd pass in class or the Chinese stars that I'd make up out of paper during school that the teacher would be mad because as soon as she'd turn it back, I'm whipping them at people, and, and I love those kinds of things. It was super fun for me. Well, then after the 1980s kind of came and went, uh, the 1990s brought something totally different. They brought with them technology, (laughs) and we went from analog to digital. So I really did grow up kind of in both worlds. And all of a sudden, it was not my mom correcting my papers before I turned them in. It was spell check on the computer which was phenomenal because spell check never gave me grief for how my assignments turned out. And they would just correct it. I'm like, that's perfect. And it was a much different world. But because I love gadgets so much, and because computers were new, I was looking for any way that I could understand how to make a very complex thing in the computer make sense so I could use it to do my bidding when I came to my homework. And so in 1991, a book series came out called DOS for Dummies. (laughs) 
Now, the Four Dummies book series didn't sell a whole bunch of books based on insulting the intelligence of their prospective buyers. No, they sold books because they playfully made fun of the fact that there are complex topics out there that need to be understood in a simplified way. And since 1991, over 2,500 of their books have been created for all sorts of topics, from everything from the Bible to computer languages to you name it, it's out there. But today we're going to look at a text in Scripture where Jesus does something where he makes a very complex topic very simple. And what I'm talking about is the Bible. So the Bible is comprised of 66 books, which were written over the span of 2,000 years by 40 different authors. And when you consider how much has changed in our own lives in just 30 years, imagine how many changes have happened as these authors wrote the text over 2,000 years. The Bible has a lot of complexity to it and a lot of beauty to it. And what Jesus does today in this text is he makes it very, very simple. He sums up both the Sermon on the Mount and the entire Bible in one sentence. So if you'd open with me to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. And oh, by the way, you can open up to that either digitally through our YouVersion app, or you can choose the analog version if you prefer. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 says this. So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So right away you'll notice two things. There's a little discussion about The golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do to you. Should be familiar with that. And then there's this whole topic of gates, right? The the, the narrow gate and the narrow path, which lead to life, and the wide gate and the wide path, which lead to destruction. But what I want you to first notice in here is this phrase, the law and the prophets. If you remember uh, a few weeks back when I preached on Matthew chapter 5, specifically verse 17, and Jesus introduced this language into the text, he said, the law and the prophets. And what I said then, and I'll just remind you of it now, is this, that when Jesus said law and prophets, his audience, who are not us because we weren't sitting there during the sermon, we're reading it after the fact, his audience would have thought two things. Number one, they would have thought the law is the first five books of the Bible. And the prophets are the remaining 34 books of the Old Testament that make up all of God's written communication to the people from the very beginning until the point of which he's speaking. And oh, by the way, the word so right at the beginning of this text helps us to think and remember that even before that, a whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is bringing to a point at this moment right now. So why is that important? Well, it's important for a couple different reasons. Number one is, if in fact this sums up the entire Bible, if you've done math or you understand math at all, the sum is all of the parts put together into one thing. So what Jesus is saying is that the law and the prophets, right, are summed up by do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He's taking a whole span of writing, a very complex, culturally diverse book, and he's saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
So that brings up the golden rule. What is the golden rule and what do you need to think about it? Well, the golden rule actually is one of the most quoted and misquoted verses in the entire Bible. Uh, You've probably seen it on bumper stickers and t-shirts, and you've seen it quoted different ways. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it's stated negatively. So in that particular chapter and verse, it says, don't do to somebody something that you don't want them to do to you. Pretty straightforward, but it's stated in the negative way, where here Jesus is saying, do to others as you would have them do to you. But all over philosophical writing, everyone from Plato to Aristotle to Seneca to uh, Confucius, everybody has written some version of this golden rule. I wonder where they got it from, but they've come up with some version of this golden rule, and they've put it all over. But only in the Bible, let me make this really clear, only in the Bible, and with the structure of the Bible, the framework, the way that we look at the Bible, can we understand how to think about the golden rule, and how to apply it. Because frankly, the golden rule doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it, it's kind of like when I'm talking my kids off a, off a cliff and they're, they're arguing with each other and something's going on and they're like, well, why should I forgive them or why should I be nice? And I say, well, because Jesus did that for you, <laughs> right? That, that it doesn't make sense in our minds humanly unless we understand the context, which is through the Holy Scriptures. So when we think about the golden rule, why in the world would I ever forgive somebody who's done something wrong to me? Well, because that's what I would want done to me. Why in the world would I ever extend mercy or grace to somebody who cannot pay me back for that? Well, because that is how the Bible teaches it. That, that, that's what I would want done to me. And so the golden rule, when you really think about it, if it, re- if it were something that we could just do, <laughs> this world would look a lot different. But as we're going to find out, it requires a couple things. To live out the golden rule, we need two things. Number one, we need community. You cannot live out the golden rule without community. And number two, you can see where I'm going with this, is we need Jesus. There is no possible way to live what Jesus said to do without being in relationship with other people and without himself. So what does community look like? Well, God is relational by nature. In fact, if you look back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we are created in God's image. Male and female, he created us to look like him. So in some way, we are relational in that God is relational, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he made us out of that relationship to be in relationship to him. So to do what he says there's only one thing that we can do, and that is be in relationship with people. So think about the golden rule this way. If you were to only think about it negatively, okay, don't do to somebody what you don't want them to do to you. Well, I can finish that commandment real easy. In fact, I'd never break it. I just isolate myself and never be with people. (laughs) Be pretty easy not to break that rule, because if I don't do to somebody something I don't want them to do to me, then I just don't be with people, and that'll never happen. But what you'll notice in the text is that Jesus is not saying it that way. He is saying, do to others something that you would want them to do to you. It requires us to be in relationship. There is no way around it. We have to be in relationship with other people to do what Jesus is saying here. In fact, if you go back and look at the Ten Commandments, which Jesus provides commentary on in the Sermon on the Mount, and you look at some of these, they're all relational. 
right? They're their relationship with God or their relationship with people. But how do we not be angry if we're isolated? How do we not lust or not? not how do we treat people with respect and love on people and, 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 and love God and do these things that God's asked us to? It's because they're all relational. We have to be in relationship with people and with God. It's impossible to do what he has called us to do without being in those relationships. Um, taking my preacher hat off here for a second, uh, my role here at this church, uh, besides getting to preach once in a while, you see me up here uh, in the service, but my, my main role here and why I was hired was to be the pastor of adult formation. So my area of oversight are the spiritual lives of the people who attend this church, both as a whole and as individuals. I work with Pastor Trinity and the rest of the pastors, and, and I really, my goal is to see us as a church grow spiritually. Um, I want to give direction regarding spiritual growth, but I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Number one is you can't grow spiritually if you don't do what Jesus says. <laughs> it sounds pretty straightforward, but, but really listen to this. You can't grow spiritually unless you actually do what Jesus says. Now, here's the next part of that, is that you can't do what Jesus says unless you're in community, right? Because if everything Jesus is saying requires someone else to do that, then you can't do that without being in community. We have to be. You can't one another without one another. <laughs> That's how he made us, right? If he commands us to do these things, we have to be in relationship with one another. It's incredibly important. And so please hear me in this. When you come here at church on a Sunday morning, we don't grow in rows. We grow in circles, that it is easy to show up on a Sunday morning and, and, and be a part of a church and have a 15-minute conversation and passing with people out there and then walk away and, and still not get the spiritual result that Jesus is driving at us to go for. Because we need smaller communities in order to do this. And as your pastor of adult formation, this is why I get really excited about small groups. This is why I get excited about things like Bible study fellowship, which we have for both men and women. This is why I constantly push these, these morning coffee and, and, and breakfast groups that the men set up or the coffee and care the women do. And, and all these groups are so important because the truth is I can't know all of you in this room and at the 9.30 service, and at the 8.30 service. I can't show up in your life and know all the things that, that you need to work on and encourage you with that and, and help you with that. I can't do that. I, I would want to, <laughs> but I can't. You guys need to do that for each other. You see, that's how God designed us, is to be in those relationships, and that's why smaller groups is more important. Now, community worship like this is absolutely important. And God said, get together and worship me with song and worship me with the reading of scripture and the teaching of the word. So this time is important, but this is not enough, is what I'm trying to tell you. This is not enough. Don't check out after a Sunday and think, well, I, I've done enough. If you're going to do what Jesus says, you need to be in community. And if you're going to be in community, you've got to be in smaller groups because that's what that requires. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, it's regular meeting, it's spiritual challenge, and it's encouragement. And if you don't know somebody, how do you do that? 
This was me this morning. On, on my way here and I was thinking about this, there's a few men in my life that I, I keep close relationships with. They know me, they know my issues, they know my sin patterns, they know what I struggle with and, and how to encourage me. And I know the same for them and we really lean on each other in these times. And so I knew that this particular guy in my life had a challenging thing to do today. So what did I do? I applied God's word. I texted him and said, hey, I want to pray for you right now for what I know you're going to have to do today. Why? Because that's what God says to do. And if we want to grow spiritually, we have to do what Jesus says. And if we're going to do what Jesus says, we have to be in community. So putting back the preacher hat on, um, illustration time. So uh, two years ago, I, uh, I, I was in town. I've been here for three years now. Two years ago, I was doing some physical therapy for a shoulder injury that I had. And during that time, by the way, the, the orthopedics in this town are second to none. Like the medical health care we have in this town is phenomenal. Well, one meeting with a physical therapist and he's like, I think you tore your labrum. And I'm like, Really? Not even a single orthopedic surgeon down in the Twin Cities told me that. So how do you know this? He's like, nope, I know it. It's like, I've seen enough of this. I know what it is. Sure enough, I had. So then they scheduled a surgery, and I went into the surgery, and I went through the whole process, and I learned a couple things about the whole process. Uh, first of all, if you don't ever tear your labrum or your uh, rotator cuff, don't ever do it, because it's not fun to recover. But through this whole process, this is what they told me. They said, here, we're going to give you all the exercises you need to do. We're going to make the fix and, and do this, and here's how I'm going to do it. And the doctor explained it, and he said, I do a lot of these, and I know how it's going to work. He's like, but there's a part that you got to do. You have to go home and do these exercises. You have to stretch your arm out. If you're going to grow that arm stronger because it has to be repaired, then you have to do your part. Why is that important? Because if you want to grow spiritually stronger, the principle's the same way. You have to take ownership. The doctor can't show up at my house and make me do the exercises. The physical therapist said coming in just to the office once a week was not enough. I had to do these things on my own. I had to take ownership of my own spiritual life, the same way that I took ownership of my own rehab for my shoulder surgery. And you see, that's how God designed it. Do what Jesus says. It has to be done in community. And this golden rule that we're talking about, we live this out with people in circles, not in rows. The next point I want to make about the golden rule is that Jesus is the golden rule. Jesus is the golden rule. So we need community to make the golden rule happen, but we also need Jesus. Well, how do you get there, Dave? Well, let me explain this. So back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So track with me here for a minute. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So when you look at the law and the prophets and you look at Jesus, one and the same. He's the fulfillment of it. The law and the prophets are the sum of the golden rule. So the golden rule is, is like that's the law and the prophets. So therefore, Jesus is the golden rule. He is the golden rule. That his life, the way he lived, the way he did ministry, the way he talked to people, the way he prayed, the way he interacted with God, he summed up the golden rule with his life. He was the embodiment of that, the living, breathing golden rule. And if Jesus is the golden rule, you can't live without him. There is no way to do this without him. You see, this is where in secular humanism and most all religions who will say, oh yeah, we're totally good with the golden rule. That sounds great. 
of course we should treat others how we want them to treat us. That, that's a wonderful statement to say. Great bumper sticker, great t-shirt. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Anybody, most religions will, will say that. But here's where they separate. And this is what makes the golden rule distinct. Is that you can't do it without Jesus Christ. Because he is. Do you see that? That Jesus is who the golden rule is meant to be. And you see this all over the place in scripture. What did he do the last supper? He goes into the room. He did not just sit down and demand to be served. He could have. He was the master teacher. He was the most important person in the room. But he humbled himself and he took the lowest job. And he said, I'm going to do for others something that I would want done for me. (laughs) Essentially, he lived that out right in front of him. And he washed the feet of his disciples. And he said, now go and do likewise. And he gave him that example. And there are so many places in scripture where he lives this out. And it's just beautiful. Think of him on the cross. He could have sat there in just the sheer agony of what he was going through, but he cared about the spiritual life of the person next to him on the cross because he was other-centered. He was thinking about others and doing for them what they couldn't do for themselves and meeting their needs. So how does this tie into the gates? (laughs) Probably wondering how I'm going to make this work. Well, it actually works pretty easily. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. Uh, I'll just read this for you. It says this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So how do the narrow gate and wide gate fit in with the whole golden rule thing? Well, one of the main objections that I commonly get as a pastor when it comes to passages like this, because this sort of passage feels exclusive. It feels like well, gee, Pastor Dave, um, so God's trying to keep people out of heaven with just a narrow gate and a narrow path. Why wouldn't he make it really broad and wide? doesn't make any sense. I feel like God's just not loving. He doesn't care about people and doesn't want people in heaven. Time out here for a second. I'm going to explain to you why the gate is narrow and the path is small. And there's a really logical reason for it. Because there's only one of them. There is only one way to the Father, and that's Jesus. You see, we live in a world where there are many voices and many religions and many people who say, well, no, this is the way. Or if you want life, then do this. Or all roads lead to heaven. Or this religion, that if you're a good person, or if you do these things. And so we see in our world, there are so many different ways. So God and Jesus are just pointing out the obvious. The reason the gate is narrow and the path is small is because there's just one. There's just one, and that's Jesus. And the same reason you can't live the golden rule just by being a good person, you need Jesus, you can't enter God's life without the person of Jesus Christ. Because there is only one. The life that God offers can only be accessed through Jesus. It can only be accessed through Jesus. This was my conversation this week. Um, COVID has been really hard on a lot of people, and a lot of pastors too. But I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people as they've navigated the difficulties that come with uh, not having uh, opportunities to meet with people and the mental health stuff that goes on in life. And COVID has just been pretty tough that way. And as I was meeting with a a 21-year-old man this week, um, I just, in the conversation, I just discerned that, that he may not have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. So I just flat out asked him, I said, you made Jesus your Lord and Savior yet? Because he really is the only way. Like, there are a lot of things out there and, and that, that you could do, but, but Jesus is the only way. And he said, well, you know, actually, I've never really done that before. I said, well, do you want to pray with me right now? 
And he prayed to receive Christ. That's the white rose right there. Because you see, yeah, absolutely. Praise God for that. It's just one way. It's just Jesus. And when we realize that and find it and know it, then we can find the life that God has given us to. But let me go even further. Jesus calls himself the only way. Look at John chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He says this, I am the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There are not many gates that you can go through to get to God. There's only one. That's why it's narrow. Because there are many gates out there, but only one of them leads to the Father. Only one of them leads to the full life. And if God were truly trying to keep people out of heaven, he would not have sent Jesus Christ as his son. He wouldn't have sent the only gate. He would have just left it as is. But Jesus is pointing out the reality and the truth is, is that he is it. And that is why it's hard to find because we have to go through him. Like Pastor Trini said last week, it's about persistence. It's about seeking him. We have to go after him because as we do, there we are with the real life that God has given us. And that is the direction he's leading us in. This is the application of the Sermon on the Mount. It's do and enter. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which requires Jesus and it requires community. And it's enter the narrow gate, which doesn't mean that it's just sitting in this church service you get there. It means that you have to choose individually to walk through that gate. And maybe you haven't today. And if you haven't, come talk to me. I'd love to tell you more about what that looks like to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's do and enter. And these are the things that we're, we're taught here by Jesus in his word. It's through Jesus and with people that we experience life. And that's it. It's through Jesus and with people that we experience that full life that he has come to give us. So there's two questions I want to leave you with today. And question number one is this, am I living Jesus's life with Jesus's power? Because you will get very frustrated if you try to live the Christian life on your own without the power of Jesus Christ because you can't do it. If we could, this world would be a much better place because people would live out things like the golden rule without Jesus and everything would be good. But you can't do it. You need Christ. It's through Jesus's power we do what he has called us to do. When we in, in faith say, okay, God, what you said through Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, that's really hard, but I'm going to step out and do that. In that moment, he meets us with his power and gives us what we need to continue to move forward. It's a beautiful thing, but we need him and his power and his word. And the second question this is, am I in authentic community? Am I in authentic community? I know how many small groups we have in this church because that's my area of oversight. And I also know what our average Sunday attendance is. And so I know that some of you guys that are sitting out there are not in a small group. And maybe some of you are and you're just not telling me and you should so I can keep track of that. But I want everybody to be in an authentic community, in a smaller group where someone can know you and you can know someone. And through what God says to do, we can encourage and grow each other because without that, we can't do what he says and we won't grow spiritually and we have to take ownership of that. I can't do it for you. But, oh man, do I pray for that for our church. Do I pray for that for you? And if, if after this sermon, you're like, man, I need to be in a small group. Come talk to me. And if there isn't one that fits your day and time and schedule, I'll help you start one. And don't be scared by that because, again, it's not on your power and your way. It's Christ. 
That's next Sunday, the 15th, I'll be leading a class on how to be a small group leader. And here's a little disclaimer. You don't have to be a teacher. You just have to facilitate a group. Again, it's just doing what Jesus said to do. And in a beautiful way, we discover that full life that he has come to give us when we live the instruction that he has given us in the Sermon on the Mount. So would you bow with me as we pray? Lord God, I am constantly convicted, (laughs) constantly, about doing to others what I would want them to do for me, and about seeking and finding you. And Lord, I know that on my own strength and in my own way, I can't do it, and none of us can. So God, may you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not only convict us, but lead us into that life-giving relationship that brings us closer to you through applying the word of God. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your word and for teaching us how to live by it. In your name, amen.